everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That is true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. Supporting writers from Penda Publications since 1955, you can learn about the PNWA. Got a little uh, mini conference with the one and only Damon Suede. Uh, yeah, so if you know Damon, you ever seen him teach, he's great. Well, we're going to be doing something with him in November, so go check that out at pnwa.org. Got to have Tess Gerritsen, the wonderful Tess Gerritsen, back on the show. She's, uh, well, I had her on when she published her first ever co-authored book uh, called Choose Me. That was a couple years ago, I think. And But now she's back. She's got a new series uh, called The Martini Club about a group of mature spies in Maine. Uh, and the first book in that series is The Spy Coast. And really cool. And what was great about I mean, it was a great conversation. But how she came about with the idea for this particular series was, I thought, really interesting. And, uh, well, I loved talking to her before. I'm glad I got to talk to her again. If you're not familiar, Tess Gerritsen, well, she's written 30 books that have been published in 40 countries and have sold more than 40 million copies. Many of her novels have been top three bestsellers in the U.S. and number one bestsellers abroad. Uh, Her series of police procedurals featuring Boston homicide detective Jane Rizzoli and medical examiner Maura Isles inspired the TNT hit television series, Rizzoli and Isles. Remember that one? Yeah, you do. So anyway, she's back. We had a great conversation, and I'm glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. Oh, well, look who's back. Tess Garrison is back. Tess, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's fun. It's fun to be back with a totally new project. Yeah. Yeah. When we talked, we were just kibitzing ever so briefly before our, our conversation. And the last time I talked to you, you had released Choose Me, which mm-hmm. was, I think, your first co-authored book. Or I know it was co-authored. Yeah. 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 It was. And then ever, ever since then, I've did I've done two more books. So uh, I guess it's been a while. You no, no, not that long. Because the rate at which you write books is, uh, you know, different than others who might need five years. You don't need that much time. You get well, you a- know, I'm that fast. At, at the most, I'll do a book a year. But, um, you know, there are people who manage to oh. turn a more. <laughs> you, I'm sure you've met them. Uh, so you try for about a book a year. Yeah, I did. And then I got older and I said, hey, wait a minute, it's time to stop and smell the roses. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm slowing down a little bit. It, but we're on book number 30 something, right? Are we isn't that kind of what we're clocking in at? Are we in the 30s? 31. 31. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well, congrats. Congrats. Still going. Um, so you've also moved into. Well, actually, I want to back up for our for our listeners, for our viewers. Um, Tess. I discussed this when we talked last, but it's kind of interesting to return to that. Your your first career was in uh, the you were a doctor, you mm-hmm. began, and and like a lot of people, I asked, but I knew the reason that you chose to be a doctor, not a writer. Even though you've been writing all your life, you'd always wanted to be a writer. You'd loved it since you were a little girl, uh, for very practical reasons. It seemed more 
rational to go get your MD. Um, and you were from immigrant parents. So you were Chinese American. Your parents, were they immigrants themselves? Yeah, my mother was an immigrant. Uh, okay. And you know how immigrants are. There's like I, everything is about security, right? I, I totally know. I my, my wife and friends. Anyway, so yeah. And so Bo be a doctor. And so you went and became a doctor. Did they, are your parents still around? No, they, they passed on, but my mother was very, my mother uh, was around long enough to really appreciate that I had a new career. Uh, That was my question. That was my question is like, what did they think of this? Because this is not what they expected for their daughter. No, they, they didn't. Um, Now my father, unfortunately could not appreciate that. That's too bad. But my mom, uh, my mom always loved scary stuff. You know, she was a big horror film film fanatic. And uh, she loved the fact that I was writing scary books, although she had to say, you know, moms, moms sometimes are never happy with what you do. She said, my, she said, my books could be scarier. Now, I have a theory about that. I have a theory about that, Tess, which is because she knew you wrote it. She knew her daughter wrote it because here's the thing. All the movies she watches and all the books she's read have been written by mysterious people that she's never met. And so in a way, the book exists as if it just grew out of the ground. But she knows the girl who wrote it. And doesn't don't you think, I'm just theorizing, that that takes away a layer of the willing suspension of disbelief that's necessary for scary things? Well, you know, I think what it is, you're never a prophet in your own town. It's a, right you know, that with your family you know your family's always oh yeah yeah they're just pretty good but it's yours so yeah <laughs> do you ever talk to them in your mind i don't know what your thoughts are on the hereafter but your dad who didn't get to see and he was the one who was really like you're gonna go be a doctor and now right. that you're having this fabulous career as a writer do you ever converse with them just in your mind i think in my own mind i probably just say mom and dad um i'm glad i didn't listen to you <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad I did my own thing. And, you know, and that's that's the kind of mom I became, which is I told my kids, you do your own thing because yeah. you can't you have to follow your own path. Well, how could you not? How could you not? How can a novelist say no? Uh, although it was funny, there's the actor Richard Jenkins. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with him? No, he's, no. A, oh, he's a wonderful actor. Um, but he actually he got his career started in theater in Providence, where I grew up. So I used to see him in these very local theater shows. I thought that guy's great. Now he's in movies. And I listened to him being interviewed by Mark Marin on his podcast. And his son was a great drummer, a great drummer, but he's like, he gave it up to become an accountant. He's like, that's my real passion. <laughs> and he was kind of like, no son of mine is going to be. Anyway, so here you are an artist. How can you not tell your kids to pursue their passions? Right? I, right, right. I mean, that would that would be hypocritical of me, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think so. In our conversation, you also mentioned something interesting, and in that you, I, I, I'd said that doctors. There are I have interviewed a number of doctors who went become writers, and you thought that was interesting because doctors tend to deal in the in facts, right? In right. science, but there's also this, which I think is interesting, which is there's 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 creating stories, right? There's what you, you dream up stories. And then there's mm-hmm. storytelling. And I had a client who helped people write TED Talks. She wrote them for them. She would work with scientists. And she said the scientists had these great discoveries and this great information, but they could not for the life of them structure that in a story. Because there's, yeah. right? Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. I, I get to, you're using a different part of your brain, actually. It is, it's, Yeah. It, you know, when when you're when you're writing a scientific paper or you're writing a medical note, um, you try to stick to the facts. You try to be uh, very precise, 
And storytelling is all about making the circles, you know, circling around, circling around the the impactful part of your paper. Just, um, just, just describe that. To, to go in, do you mind just exploring that? What do you mean by circling around? How? how... Well, you know, when you when you have a, a thriller, it's yeah. usually somebody dies, and then there's yeah. a conclusion, and the detective yeah. finds it. You don't want to go from point A to point Z in, no. in lightning speed. You are you are taking your time. You're going around to the dark alleys and 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 these circles because you're a hero. That's that is the fun of of reading these is that you don't get from A to Z in a, in a straight line. It has right, to be right, right, yeah, right. Because you kind of like you know that's the interesting thing. I always feel for the the um, genre writers, whether it's crime or romance, but specifically crime, to some degree, the reader sits down. And already knows some things about your book, whether they've ever like they know, like when I watched, I watched a little bit of the Jack Ryan series when I was laid up after an operation recently. And I knew nothing was going to happen to Jack Ryan, no matter how bad things got, because the thing is named after him. And so I just know like he's going to be okay. And like, and the reader knows you're going to catch the killer. And all, unless you're into something different, which most crime, you know, unless you're really going somewhere. And so don't you as a writer have to work with the knowledge that they know what's coming and yet still make them feel like they it maybe this time it won't happen well yeah no i i think it's it's how you get there that's entertaining. okay so so um you can take all kinds of detours and people will follow you on these detours they know what the destination is but they don't you're going to go to pittsburgh or you're going to go to alabama first before you get that's right and do you and so when you're because i i'm who was it i was interviewing martha Grimes, I think it might have been she, who said she just puts the body down and says, let's go find out who killed And she'll start writing. No idea. Yeah. Who killed yeah. him. Just follow along. Where are you on that arc of outlining? I am a bit of seat. I'm a seat of the pants writer, too. I oh, mean, I'm interesting. Not- OK. There are times, I mean, there certain books where I didn't know until three quarters of the way through the first draft who the bad guy was. Um, really? Yes. Three quarters? Sometimes it takes three quarters or sometimes I'll get to the end and I'll think, wait a minute, um, this doesn't feel right. It feels like I've missed something. You know, like your detectives on the show. You're like a detective in your own book. (laughs) It's like, okay, I've got the bad guy. Oh, but something doesn't feel right. And then you go back and look at it and think, oh, there's somebody I missed. And and that's that's happened at least maybe a quarter of the time in in my manuscripts. But it's always the first draft. Always the first draft. So that's interesting. And how often do you have, as you get to the end, and you say, oh, I see how we're going to wrap it up. Do you look back at chapter three and go, oh, look at that detail. Oh, that's the perfect detail that I need. Does that you happen? Know, that very happens. Often? We, we subconsciously leave the gun on the mantelpiece. I think yes. often, yeah. <laughs> we, we put stuff down there. We don't know if it's going to be relevant. We don't know sometimes why we did it. But eventually you get to a point in the story went, oh, wait a minute. I can go back to that and use that gun on the mantelpiece. Don't you think, because I, I am a pantser too, I don't write fiction, but I still, I write creative nonfiction. You would think when you, if you write memoir stuff like I do, that I wouldn't need to outline. But in fact, I often don't know what the story is about, even though I say, I'm going to write about when this thing happened. I don't know why, why I'm writing it, right? I don't know what, what to include and what to leave out. Don't you feel like there's a certain discipline necessary with pantsing, which is to say, to know when you're going down a blind alley, to feel what it, to know what it feels like when you're starting down a blind alley, as opposed to putting down, like you said, a detail is like, I don't know why that belongs, but I feel like I should leave it. Right? Isn't there like a thing you have to learn to tell the difference between? I don't know if there's there's discipline involved at all. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> okay. 
think it's I think you're just throwing things in the air and you want to see where it no, lands. No, no, no. I push back. I reject it. Because on some <laughs> level you have to be able to to trust like that feels wrong, that feels right. I, I don't need that. I better follow that. I no? find myself into so many blind alleys and then I stop. I mean, that's that's what writer's block, or for me it's plot block. I write so many blind alleys and then I get stuck. Oh, and then you're trying to find your way out of it. And that's when the magic happens. When you're trapped in a room, okay, yeah. let me yeah, yep. metaphorically trapped. Yeah, I room. like it. There's okay. no doors, there's no windows, and then you're you're some something clicks and you find, oh my God, I left a window open there and then I can get out. When so you it, go- yeah. Go ahead. No, it it really is when you're trapped and you're, you're when you're in the blind alley that the most interesting things happen. Well, that's interesting. And so, because my memory of blind alleys, and I like this metaphor because I do feel like a story is a path, right? You're following down this mm-hmm. way and that way. One of the things I would do if I went down, the, I'd say, okay, I got to back up until I remember the spot where it did make sense. Uh, you know, when I'm writing songs, the melody will, I'm like, eh, that melody, I'll go back to the part of the melody I like. And then, but you're saying, no, I'll get down to the blind alley and then I'll say, sometimes I'll say, okay, I think there is, it's not as blind as I think. I just haven't looked deeply enough. Yeah. That, I mean, that, and there are some times when it's, okay, that's a blind alley. And then I take, I rip up 20 pages. And okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they don't always lead to genius moments. Sometimes they just lead to blind alleys. That's all. Right. But you have seen some great creativity come out of that when kind of, when your back's up against the wall a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I do. But I think part of the, um, the difficulty is identifying what went wrong, identifying where you, you know, you turned down the wrong way. Right. Which was the turn? Which of the many little decisions was the one that led me to here? Right. right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not always easy to know. So very often it has to do with character. It has to do with this character would not do this thing at this time. Right. So you're, you're, you got in there. You got in there and meddled with the character instead of them doing it on their own, right? That's right. Letting the character do their own thing. Gotta eat, gotta let it do it. So, okay. So the Spy Coast, brand new book. And so first of all, we're in spy territory. Um, I know you've written plenty of thrillers. Of course, you had the Rizzoli Isles series. Uh, this isn't is this the first time you've really dived into the world of spies, international spies, or is this familiar territory to you? Oh, it's not familiar territory at all. I didn't was- think so. No, it's it's brand new, um, and I never intended to write a spy thriller because I mean, what do I know about spies, right? I'm, I'm just a I'm just a humble doctor. So, <laughs> okay. Um, so, and it, it was all inspired. I don't know if you know this, but I live in this little town in Maine, and when I moved here three decades ago, um, we made this interesting discovery about some of our neighbors. We found out that we have a lot of retired CIA that's settled in this town. Really? Well, it all happened because my husband had this new medical practice and he would, he would, um, you know, ask for people's, um, their employment history, just to know whether it was relevant to their health. Right. And occasionally he would hear somebody say, oh, I used to work for the government. And he'd say, well, what did you do for the government? And they'd say, I can't talk about it. So after you heard that a couple of times, we thought, you know. what's going on in this town? Yeah. Wow. And, um, we found out that in the little on the little street where we used to live, uh, we had spies on on our two spies on our street retired. Oh, weird. So I got to thinking, and you know that they're they're involved in the community. They they work in library committees. They just do the normal things that well-to-do retired right. people do. Um, but I, I just wondered, what do you do when you're a retired spy? You know, what yeah. do you 
together with your friends? Do you talk about the old days? So who can you trust? Um, and that's that's how I thought, well, this is, it's interesting to look at the espionage world from the other side, from 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 the gray haired side. And what is yeah. it like? So that that's what inspired the Spy Coast, even though I know nothing about spies. Oh, that is so. But are any of the, were you able to uh, walk out the front door and knock on your neighbor's door and say, I have a book I'm researching. Talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, you know, I didn't, I know who they, some of them are. Um, okay. Admit that that's what they did. Um, but, you know, they can't talk about it. So what I yeah. do is I do what I normally do with I do research. I think the most important source you can find are memoirs. If you can find a good right. memoir, somebody who was a, you know, non-official cover spy, they will tell things. They will they will blurt out things in their memoirs that you'll find valuable. Um, and my focus on this was really on the emotional aspect of what is it like to be in this industry? Right. Um, what is it like to make friends, but with alter ulterior motives? I mean, that it, everything must feel a little bit ungenuine to you. And what does yeah. that do in your personal relationships? I mean, there was one couple um, who, who were, but they were both, they were both CIA, I know. And, um, they had exciting lives. They were they were young and glamorous during the Vietnam War, and then they come here, and then they they get old and decrepit, and they get divorced because I think this the spark has 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 left their lives. And so what is that like for people wow. to, have to deal with that? What yeah. an in, it's such an interesting concept and aspect of it, and and of course, there's all levels to spies. Um, you know, there's people who are spies, but they never leave. CIA, they never leave the building itself, right? Yes. And uh, what is it? Is it Quant? Quant? What is it? What's the name of the CIA headquarters? It's Langley. 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 What I was thinking. Anyway, uh, and then there, of course, there's people in the field, and I, and I wonder how many of the spies are like keep a gun in their safe because you never know what people. But I would think that's the very small majority, no. right? Yeah, I, I, wanted, I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to avoid the whole James Bond over the top right. stuff. I wanted right. to. to be with people who were, they were, you know, strictly with gathering intelligence and they did it through finding sources and they did it through finding sources who sometimes had to risk their lives to bring back this yeah. information. Yeah. But they're not running around with guns. They're, they're, they're working on an intellectual level. Right. Um, and, and that was what I was focused on. Just the day-to-day, -day, you know, making friends, um, cultivating assets. I would think one of the, you know, when I did write fiction and I did some historical stuff, the thing that always bugged me about, that I found challenging about writing something about say the 1880s was I know what it's like to get up and just be a person in, in the 21st century in America. Like I know all the, in the, the, the sort of minutia we take for granted that I just didn't know about, you know, I only knew the macro of the 1880s, not the micro, but the micro is where stories you've got to have. So I would think as a, in addition to the emotional element, which would be so helpful with the memoir, just the detail of like, what is it, what do you do? What does your day feel Every like? Day. Right? Yeah. You had to find all that stuff, right? And that's really, that's why I say memoirs are great. Now in 1880s, you go to diaries, you find out what people yeah. ate, day, yeah. you know. Um, so that's that's really a, a really rich source for just the day-to-day -day stuff. I mean, for some of the spy craft, you have to go to, you know, CIA stuff. Yeah. Um, and 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 find these these funny little these little tidbits or find these these books that talk about the training, et cetera. Um, but um, again, I wasn't focused as much on spycraft as I was on um, on the emotional aspects of yeah. this kind of life. Well, as well you should be, because uh, according to uh, 
your website and your publicity. This is book one in a series. Is this true? Is this the plan? What's going on? Is that is that you just know, what's happening? When I started this book, I wasn't thinking about a series. Okay. Uh, but I got somewhere about three quarters and I thought, you know, I really like these people. <laughs> and uh-huh. they're, funny, they're interesting. Um, and what I really loved also was that it takes place in a small town like mine. Um, where there are local police officers who are also dealing with crimes right. and not knowing what to do with these this circle of old these retirees. I mean, why do they know so much? How how do they always show up in crime scenes before I do? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it was always it was that it's not just a conflict between um, Maggie Bird, my heroine's past and 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 an enemy that she left behind. It's also this conflict between the local cops and this group of very very sophisticated older people, um, yeah. and I. I love that conflict because my local cop is a is a, a solid citizen who's lived in Maine for I mean her, she's been generations old in this little town and she protects her town and she right. doesn't know what to do with this these people that, and she doesn't even know who they are it's like right. who are you who do you know so much so right. that conflict was what really drew me in and that's what I would love to focus on is um is you know the local versus the outside world Oh, it's good. It's good stuff. And so you're three quarters of the way through. You think I like these people. I feel like I could hang around with them a bit more. And I would suspect you're at a point in your career when you went to your editor and said, hey, I'm thinking this might be a series. I would imagine he or she would say, yes, good. Yes, good. Write four more, please. Is that, was that their reaction or what did they say? Well, you know, when I turned in the first book, I didn't wasn't talking about a series. I just said, here's my book. Yeah. Right. And Immediately it was, is there a second one in the series? Yeah, they really, okay. um, and also the first book um, was, was optioned by Amazon Studios for a television series. So yeah. of course you want more uh, of these characters and, and that's how it, it ended up. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working on the second draft now of the next book. So you said optioned. I understand how television in Hollywood functions. Optioned yes. is nice. <laughs> Made is another fun. thing. Yes. Right. right. I mean, you've been down that road where it did actually go through, but in your gut, in your grown up seasoned professionals gut, what would you say the odds of it appearing on my Amazon feed uh, are? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm going to make a wild guess and say 50 50. Oh, okay. Which is really good. I mean, knowing how most options collapse. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I remember Terry Brooks. Was talking about it because he wrote the sort of Shannara or Shannara, I think he commenced. Right. And you know, he wrote a ton of them, and he and he and Hollywood always comes knocking, and he got and he get his hopes up and dash. And at the end, he finally just said, I don't care, just get as much money from these people as you can, whether they ever make it or not. Please just get the because there's so much. And I was just talking to Bob Dagoni about that, and he was, I, I don't know if you know Bob or not, he's another Amazon author. Yeah. He goes yeah. through the, a lot of the same stuff of people getting excited. Well, I hope to see it, I hope to see it, Tess. For your benefit, but you got to keep cranking them out. Then you got to get a few more stories so that they don't, you know, maybe you don't want those writers to mess it up. This is how Hollywood works, right? They get your characters, they get your book, and then they then they have a writers' room and they start writing their own stories. They break their own stories. Yeah. Um, that's Rizzoli and Dial. So they don't have to follow a book necessarily, but they follow the book um, as a blueprint for the characters. That's what they're really going for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, 50-50, we'll keep our fingers crossed. We'll keep our fingers crossed. So you're still interested. You're still interested, Tess, 30 books in. You know, I think it's a reasonable question. You can you can look up and say, I just want to play the piano for the rest of my life. I mean, what? Okay, you're getting me at the worst time. Of, I am? Um, 
cycle because I'm in the middle of the rewrite and when I'm going, oh my God, this 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 piece of, you know what, <laughs> how am I gonna fix this, right? So this is all, always the point when I'm the most depressed um, when I'm writing a book. It's this, it's when I finish the first draft and I'm looking at this, looking working on the second draft and I see all the flaws. So yeah, at this point I'm going, why am I putting myself through this? Why don't, why would I think that I would want to do this a 33rd time? <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, t- talk to me in a year. Maybe I'll be different. This is so funny. I just, I, who did I talk to? I just talked to another author. I said, what's your favorite part? He said, the rewrite, that first rewrite. That's when I really have fun. <laughs> oh, well, that's I not like, for me. I think you're, and so, and so you don't like it because even though you've done, you're, you're re- currently rewriting book 32. Yeah. yeah. And even though you've done 31 of these, and you sold a lot of copies of books, and you, you, you've done this before, some part of you thinks, oh, this is the time. This might be the one where Tess Garretson can't close the deal. Is this, is this, that, does that just float around your head a little bit? Just the smallest bit or of that? Not. And you know what's the worst? The worst thing, of, the, the weirdest thing about it is that the reviews on the Spy Coast are so good. The reader reviews yeah. are so good. Great. It makes me anxious. Oh, you don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to disappoint when for the second for the next book. So it's like I shouldn't be looking at good reviews right now. I should just looking at bad reviews. No, see, this is this is I I am I am I am evangelical about this, which is forget the reviews. I know because you live by them, you die by them, and it's like so now you read them, you think they love it. Oh God, I hope I don't screw it up. They don't like you. Think what's wrong with it? Just you you're just in these people's heads. My you wife. Can never be happy. You can never be happy. You can't. Me. You can't. And it's like you want people to like your stuff, of course, right? But it's sort of like, you know, it's weird. I don't know if you if you go through this test, but because my stuff is pretty personal, you know. And but I realize when people come and talk to me about something of mine they've read, I still feel like they're describing an experience they had that I wasn't really a part of. Like <laughs> they were there by themselves reading it, and so it's like almost their book. There. I mean, I know they didn't write it. But it's really their experience. And I'm not a part of it at all in a lot of ways. Do you ever get that sense yourself? Like, Except my name's on it. Yeah, I know. But it's sort of like, oh, I don't know. It's a, I have a thing like it belongs to them at that point, even though I wrote it. And I yeah. It. Yeah. Well, I, I feel that way about television. Once they take it, it's Oh, long. yeah. I mean, yeah. But, but that, that whole reader-writer relationship, it's very, it's very fraught, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's um, how many other professions other than entertainment can you get? Do you have your work review put out there in public? Never. Like every, no one. That somebody hated what you did. Yeah. I mean, if you're a teacher, your work review is very private. It's between you and your employer. But everybody reads our work reviews. And I think that this this adds a lot of stress to what we do. You know, um, who is I always forget her name when I tell the story. She was the American painter did all the stuff in the Southwest with the skulls and, you know, the cow skull. Oh, George O'Keefe. George O'Keefe. Loved, she, you know, she has a famous quote about it, which is, she said, I decided for myself and praise and criticism went down the same drain and I was free. And I thought, oh, because you got, because like we, we put ourselves out there, but we cannot live by what these, by what other people think of our stuff. Like it'll kill us. We'll spend a whole days batting around. What? takes great discipline Tess. i think you got it obviously you've survived you haven't been killed by an ulcer you're, you're still able to do this and enjoy it mostly um yeah. so finishing this so this is book number two of this series obviously yeah. and do you feel within your 
creative gut that there could be a third? Is that a, is that a possibility? Yeah, yeah. You know, I was first of all, I never planned to write number two, and now I'm and yeah. now they're saying, "Are oh, you going to write a third? So, um, I I have an idea. I live in a very, as I said, a very peculiar little town with a lot of spies here, um, <laughs> and and believe it or not, this is this is the idea for the third one is that. <laughs> For a little town in Maine, we attract these really high-powered international people who come here every year for a a, a conference. Ah. It's like a national conference. And you right. know that a lot of the people who are sitting in that opera house are retired spies. So that, that idea came to me. Oh, well, my God. Why not write, write a novel that's set around this international conference in this little town? Because... It happens. I mean, it's not it's not pure fiction. It's just, well, you know, what's great about that is you because you're making stuff up, obviously you're inventing. Yeah. But when you start with something so real, like like, for instance, having a town full of spies, yeah. you know, that can seem like a, like a like a like a writer's dream. But you right. started with reality yeah. and just built off of it. And same thing. I think it gives it a level of verisimilitude that sometimes a crime novel might not have, or certain crime novels might not have. So that's got to feel good. Give you a little yeah. confidence. It, it does. And and the fact that there are stories all around me, like the second book I'm writing is, is based on something the CIA did here, you know, 50 years ago. So yeah. again, it's based on, on some kind of kernel of truth. Do you watch the news differently, international news? Because now that you know a little bit more than you did before, or has it not changed your view of the world at all? Well, it does make me imagine what people are doing running around behind the scenes, gathering this information, you know, gathering yeah. this intelligence, what what they're putting their lives through and their assets' lives through. Um, yeah. it, it gives you a better appreciation of how something that happens uh, in Israel or Gaza or yeah. or, you know, Korea it does affect us right here, even in the most calm part of, of the country. We are all interconnected. It is, we are, we are we all are. interconnected. Do you have, does any part of you reading about these and writing about these people think, I'd have made a good spy. I could have done it. No, I'm smart. no I would have, no. Been, a, would have been a terrible spy. You I'm would have been? I would have been a terrible spy. I'm not a good li liar. I would, you know, after a while I would have said, I confess. <laughs> you are a good, it's a weird thing. Writers lie for a living. And yet, there's one thing to lie on the page. There's nothing to lie to a person, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's very true. And also, I'm, I'm, you know, basically, I'm a coward. So, <laughs> yeah, don't don't send me into a war zone, please. Good thing to know about yourself. Okay, so the Spy Coast, go get it, people. It's good. It's different. Tess is taking different roads. You can get it. We're all fine. Books are sold. All right. So last time I asked you what writing has taught you. Ah, uh, here's what I want to find out. What I want to know. I usually ask, what is writing's taught you anything has taught you what? And I got to say, that answer question changes. My answer changes. But here's what I'm interested in, because you're still doing this. What about writing right now? Because you keep growing, I hope, right? You keep changing aside from new stories. What is it that's on? What about writing do you think about the most these days? Is there some aspect of it that's particularly you're chewing on or that you're focused on? Is there some aspect of it in particular right now at this point in your life compared to 30 years ago or 20 years ago? I don't think so. I think it's still it's still a story comes to you and you still want to see it on the page. And that's it's a compulsion. OK, it's not a healthy compulsion. It's <laughs> we admit that we are we are obsessed with this kind of stuff and maybe sometimes it ruins our lives. <laughs> but um you know, I've come to I've come to accept that part of my of my own personality is that I am a, I'm an obsessive person. 
but it's a good obsession. So what? So if I heard you correctly, that experience of a story coming to you and you wanting to see it on the page is not completely different than when you were seven years old and you wrote your first story. No, it's the same. I, I haven't changed since I was seven. That's okay. That's good. That's good that you have not lost the child in you where all the good fun and magic happens. Tess, it's been great talking to you. And great talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, see, we're all still children. That's where it starts. Play, fun, things come to you, you get interested. It's nice, isn't it? Nice. Tess Gerritsen, 30-something books in, still interested. That's pretty awesome. I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. You're pretty awesome, R.J. And so are you all of you listening. I, I may not know you all, but I know you're awesome. I just do, because that's what people are at their heart. So, speaking of hearts... Before I see you again, go find something you love to do and do it.